0: My name is Norbert. I'm pastor of Boyle Grace Church and I'd like to welcome you one more time. It's like uh, we are in Theater 11, so it's like being in a new house. Welcome. Uh, if there's any announcement, it's that that Theater 11, where we are right now, is just a temporary thing. There's a long story about this one, but next Sunday we'll be going back to Theater Number 14. Now we are still in our series it's called what we do while waiting matters we're still in the book of revelation and for the last couple of sundays we've been talking about seals and trumpets and bowls <coughs> those are judgments of god uh, the book of revelation is um, is not like watching uh, a feel-good movie or a chick flick movie I, I, I should, I, I'm almost going to say Chick-fil-A movie, uh, not a chick flick movie, where at the very end of the, the movie you are elated, you are excited, you are inspired, you're happy, and you're giddy. Reading the book of Revelation is like watching the news, where you see the warts and moles and the bad and the corruption. The book of Revelation is God's message to the world as how God sees it. Today I want to talk to you about Babylon Babylon is how God sees reality now we've been bombarded by a lot of things coming from different places all over the government is telling us one thing science is telling us a different thing education is pouring its, its own understanding of things we are bombarded by a lot of information but what is really out there what is reality the book of Revelation tells us the reality as how God sees it. For the last uh, 50 years, we have experienced a major transition in our thought process, in our value system, and our culture in general. I'm not going to go all the way back to 1901, but every generation has its own characteristics. Now, baby boomers are the ones born from 1945 to 1965. Give a shout out if you were born in this era. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's cool. Generation X are those born from 1965 to 1980. Alright. I'm from this. I'm Generation X. Generation Y, or what we, aka Millennials, are born 1980 to 1995. All right. Gen Zs are those born from 1995 to 2015. Alright. Cool. You're cool. If if we're going to put these generations in social media, we'd say that the baby boomers are the diary generation, or maybe the MySpace generation. You don't know MySpace. (laughs) The Generation X is the Facebook generation. The Generation Y, the millennials, are the Instagram generation. You like snapshots. The Generation Z are the TikTok generation. You like short clips. We're all in this uh, social media But the generation Z's and Y's according to studies prefer more um, Non-traditionals, they tend to be more emotional and practical and they tend to live in the present so they want more experience and both generations Y and Z are more emotional more emotionally dependent on social media Your greatest fear is the lack of internet. It's not zombies, it's not ghouls, it's not nothing. It's the lack of internet. You panic when there's no internet. Well, uh, yeah. One other thing is that your fear is encapsulated in the word FOMO, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. That's why you endlessly scroll Instagram and TikTok because there's a lot to see. There's a 2016 survey which says that only 48%, that's even lower than half, of Gen Z's consider themselves to be heterosexuals or confused with their identity. According to the Barna Group, Gen Z's believe that truth is relative. It is defined by the community or wherever they belong. And here's the main argument of Gen X and Y and Z for truth and morality. As long as I don't hurt anyone, it's good. Story or truth is about my personal story. And whatever I'm going through right now is truth. Doesn't matter what is true, what matters is my story, what's happening to me. Let's put this in context. What does, that, what does God say to generations X, Y, and Z? I'm going to put in the baby boomers as well. What does a God say about all the generations beginning from 1945? Or, to be specific, what does God say to those who claim to be followers of Jesus, but belong to generations X, Y, and Z? Revelation 16, let's pick up from uh, last Sunday. Revelation 16, verse 17, this is what it says. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder and great earthquakes, such as there had never been since man was on earth, so great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts. Now, notice that there's a city here. And the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the Great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Well, I told you I'm going to talk about Babylon. Babylon represents a lot of things. But the main message of Revelation 17, our message today, is about Babylon the Great. Now, you must have heard about it. You must have read about this somewhere. But what is Babylon? It has become a household name. Allow me to to show you its origin and how it's related to us. When God created the heavens and the earth, For six days, he's been doing it. And at the end of the seven days, on the seventh day, he said it's very good. It was good. It's perfect. It's like a masterpiece. That's God's creation. So even if you're not reading your Bible, if you flip the first two pages in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, you will find that God created everything. As in everything, nothing is left. Everything was created by God. And on top of his creation, The most, the best of his creation is called mankind or humanity. Why? For two reasons. Number one, because humanity, both he and she were made in God's image. Both man and woman were made in God's image. Secondly, by the way, not only only in the man, to the man and the woman, that God said, go and multiply. He also said that to the animals. But only to the man and the woman, He said to rule over all the other creations in the world. We are supposed to rule the world. That's God's design for us. Based on the fact that we are made in God's image. We are the vice regents. We are like the prime minister of the world. That's how God made mankind. Both he and she made in the image of God. We're we're supposed to rule everything. Animals, the animal kingdoms, were supposed to rule them. They were to work as a team because they are both important. So, man is not more important, woman is not more important. Both are important because both reflect the image of God in them. But there's a twist in the story. Both of them were deceived by the very beast that they're supposed to rule, the serpent. The serpent, by the way, is cunning. According to the Bible, the serpent is cunning. And the serpent tried to redefine the truth by saying, Did God really say you shall not eat and touch? Originally, God only said do not eat from the food. That's the, the only rule. But the serpent redefined the truth by adding something. Did God really say you shall not eat and touch? Very clever. It was successful because man and woman, both Adam and Eve, bought the lie, and they were deceived. And in doing so, they both broke the house rules, and therefore the ground was cursed, and they were driven out from the garden towards the east. And then they had children, but one killed the other. You know the story. And when God confronted this murderer, he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He tried to deny the truth that he knew because when he said, am I my brother's keeper? He was not really asking God as if God doesn't know. He is asking a rhetorical question. Am I my brother's keeper? He knew for a fact that he is. One is redefining the truth. The other is rejecting the truth. Now what's interesting here is that when that happened, God said to Cain, you will become a wanderer. In Hebrew the word wanderer is nud, nud. Not N-U-D is like a homeless dude. Not a, Not a person that is nude. <coughs> That's different. Okay? Nud is a wanderer, a homeless dude, going around and around, homeless, nud. Now watch Genesis chapter four verse sixteen. It says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. You come across this and you keep wondering, what does it mean? Nod means wanderings. So Cain was designated as a wanderer in the land of wanderings. There's a play of words in here. He will become a nude in the land of Nod. Now wanderings, as you may know, is the land of the wilderness because this story of Cain was a glimpse of what Israel will become when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Are you watching the story? So from Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. They they went to the wilderness. They were about to enter the promised land, but the spies changed their minds like the serpent. And they said, we will not go because the, the settlers, the inhabitants, are giants. So they rebelled against God. And so they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, in the land of Nod. The story of Cain is a glimpse to the story of Israel. Very interesting. Now, according to the Bible in chapter 4, Cain went away from the presence of God and settled in the land of Nod in wanderings and built a city, a civilization, a community and named it after his own son, Enoch. Now, what's interesting here is this story again is a glimpse of what will Israel become when they will be in a city, and you might wonder where is this city see when israel rebelled against god in the middle of the bible when you read about the prophets they were brought in a city called babylon it's going to be like cain building a city defying the punishment of god to be living in the land of wilderness cain built a city to defy the punishment of god the city is Babylon, the city of wandering, the city that will become known as the cursed city from Revelation 17. Let me read to you what's interesting here in Genesis 11. Because this is the first time the city of Babylon was mentioned. Genesis 11, verse 1 through 4. Now the whole earth had one language. It's all Tagalog. <laughs> and the same words... As the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, by the way, Shinar is in the Middle East. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. This is a repetition of what God did and say when he said, come, let us make man after our own likeness. They were making a parody of God. So they said, come, let us make bricks and burn them together Thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. This is the latest technology in their time. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Remember, they are like Cain, dispersed, living in the land of Nod. But they don't want to be dispersed. They rejected God's punishment for them. What are they doing clearly? Let me be clear. God's mandate to Noah after the flood and his sons were to go multiply and fill the earth. That was God's mandate to Noah and his family. But these people have made it clear to defy and reject and redefine the original mandate of God. They want to stay put. They want to build a city so that they will not be dispersed. But their name is on top of the game. That is what they want to do. To make a name for themselves. This tower, this city, will be named after them. A city that will reach the heavens. What is this really? This tower is man's attempt to build a man-made permanent structure ruled by men and not God. Since they were driven from the garden, they want to make their own. Better, bigger, and bolder. The Garden of Eden is just wide. And beautiful but they want to make it a permanent structure their own what they can we can say their their own my own my own city bigger bolder better this city is redefined by men ruled by men where beauty and meaning of truth are redefined by men this is the city of men for men by men sound familiar Babylon is the city of men You might be asking now at this point, what happened to the humankind or the humanity that were made in God's image? Kind of forgotten at this point. The city, the Babylon, formally re-emerged in the middle of the story of the Bible. When you begin to read the kings and the chronicles and the prophets, Nebuchadnezzar, together with his entire army, marched to Israel and like a mad beast, destroyed Jerusalem the temple and brought the people of Israel as exiles to Babylon make no mistake about it the reason why it happened is because Israel rebelled against God so God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to bring them as exiles to Babylon they have become another nude or wanderer in Babylon from Egypt of slavery to another slavery in the city of Babylon but what What's good about this is that in Babylon, they repented of their sins. In fact, God said, I have a plan for you. That's, that's where you get Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope in the future. Because God wants to give them hope. They were exiled in Babylon. This Babylon is later picked up in Revelation chapter 17. This is what John saw in the vision. John 17 verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, the land of Nod, or not. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Kind of scary. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Now, I th- the Bible is not against jewels and gold and pearls. okay? But, but, but this context is different. He's trying to describe this woman as being a harlot because it says, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. This woman is presented here as a harlot, as a whore. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. And this explains the mystery of who she is. It says, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the earth's abomination." If you think about Babylon, it's Babylon, which is the capital of Iraq. Babylon, the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So if you think about this, in the time of the first century, it was Rome who persecuted the church. And so Babylon in the time of John is Rome. What is clear is that Babylon is portrayed as a harlot, as a prostitute on top of the beast. Now, John makes every effort to define, to make clear who this woman is. So he said, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth abomination. This woman, by the way, is contrast to the woman mentioned in chapter 12. The woman in chapter 12 is the church, dressed in pure white, waiting for the groom. The church is waiting for the groom because she is engaged to the groom. So she doesn't play around. She doesn't monkey around, she stays and waits, just like the church, that Jesus said, wait, because I'm coming back. The harlot, Babylon, is unconscious to this woman, the church. This Babylon is represented by a harlot drinking wine. Her cup is filled with the blood of the saints. Uh, she's not vampire, by the way, if you're thinking. Why is there a cup filled with blood? No, not vampire. She writes on top of the beast, which means she made an alliance with the beast. The beast, we know, are the purveyors, the system in the world that persecutes the church. So the world or the city, the community, the civilization, together with the system of the world, persecutes the church. That's why she writes the beast. And make no mistake about it, this woman represents a community, a civilization, the city that, that made an alliance with the enemy. Now, the world has not simply accommodated the deception brought by the woman, but it received and swallowed every lie, every deception, hook, line, and sinker. The world has not just rejected the truth of God, but redefined the truth and everything in between. That's the reason why Jesus came presenting himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. And until now, you're still wondering, what does it mean? Uh, Reminds me of one of the wealthiest women in the world here today. Uh, One of the most successful uh, talk show hosts who told us in live TV, TV that she is a Christian and that she also grew up in a Baptist church. But in Life TV, she said, there are many pathways to God. There cannot only be one pathway to God. Now, this is very interesting, to say the least. Because Jesus' claims is an exclusive claim. I am the way, the truth, the life. Now, as you know, there are many politicians, many celebrities, your favorite celebrities. Scientists, university professors, professionals in every field who would say that there's not only one way to God Despite the fact that in this country In this country, we believe that this is a Christian country God is printed in our in our bills in God we trust in every dollar in every bill It says in God we trust the very idea that we have Thanksgiving at the end of November is when the first group of immigrants from Europe came here, celebrated the first harvest in honor of God, Thanksgiving. (coughs) But Thanksgiving now is not celebrated because of thanking God, but something else. I don't know, Turkey or whatever. How could a woman who grew up in a Baptist church, who became so wealthy and successful, now profess to be A Christian, but deny the plain truth about Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There are at least three things that I think went horribly wrong with the world. Number one, the serpent's most effective tool to plant a seed of doubt in every person. That's what it did. That's what it did to Adam and Eve. He planted the seed of doubt. Did God really say, do not eat and touch? Not even touch? You sure? second the victims plain and simple rejection of the truth when we are deceived now we reject what is true and third we try to redefine the truth first you doubt second you reject and third you redefine what's true now what we cannot see what is happening behind the curtain is the greatest deception that was ever invented by the enemy the reason why the world doubts the goodness of god rejects the claims of God and redefines the truth of God is because of this one deception Apostle Paul said 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 he said and even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God You might wonder why the world is antagonistic to the message of Christianity. It's because they are blind. They cannot see. No matter how you explain, they won't believe. Because they are blind. Why was Jesus so hated during his time? Why did they conspire to crucify him on the cross? Why was Jesus, despite of his innocence, was executed without mercy? It's not because of the miracles that he did. It's not because he fed people. It's not because he cast out demons and and did everything that's good and taught everything that's good. None of those reasons were the reason why he was executed on the cross. The reason why he was executed on the cross because his message was offensive. It was an offense both to the Romans and to the Jews. His message to the world was exclusive. It's not politically correct. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's very exclusive. It's not politically correct. You're hurting some people. His claim, his claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, it may sound that he only claims to be the only way, the truth, and the life, but he's claiming more than that. Why did I say that? Because before he was executed, he was talking to Pilate. Pilate was the one who was about to decide whether he's about to be executed on the cross. And Pilate asked him, Are you king? Jesus did not reply the first time. But then at the very end, he said, What is truth? Pilate was asking about the truth. Jesus, later on, before before this, in chapter 14 of John, he was saying, I'm the truth, the way, and the life. And yet, Pilate was asking, what is truth? What was Pilate really asking? See, the context of his, his question is the first question. His first question was, in the original, are you king? What does it mean? The context is that if Jesus is king, and if he claims to have a kingdom, then he's a competitor of the Roman emperor Caesar. Whatever title a Roman emperor has, Jesus must have. And the Roman emperor claims to be king, not just king, but he used the title Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. And therefore, in the mind of Pilate, Jesus also claims to be Lord and God because he is also king. That's the reason why he was asking, what is truth? Who's telling the truth? The politics are telling, the Caesars are telling that they are divine. University professors, saints, another thing. Science is telling us a different thing. What is truth? Who's telling the truth? And how do we know that this guy is telling the truth? What is truth? This is his, is his question. See, Pilate, being a Roman citizen and a polytheist, does not want to offend the God or gods or demigods. That's why he's trying to be careful with Jesus. Because if Jesus happens to be a real God or a demigod, he does not want to execute a God. He's trying to be careful. What is truth? Tell me. Didn't you know that your execution is in my power? I have the right and authority to execute you? Jesus said no. What is truth? He's asking because none of the philosophers or the poets or the religious leaders, no one he could trust, could tell him the truth. What Apostle Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians is that the whole world without exception are blind to the truth and therefore they are perishing. In fact, even when the embodiment of God himself came in the form of man, Christmas Day, people did not believe that he is the truth. Even if he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, he was rejected by the world. Interestingly, The Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin is the court, or the High Court of Israel. When they look at the cross, they saw nothing but a blasphemous Jew, a Jew who claimed to be equal with God. The Romans, when Pilate looked at the cross, he saw nothing but a casualty of politics, a fall guy, a collateral damage, a victim. When the Jewish people looked at the cross, they saw nothing but a fellow Jew who came in power like Moses, who was good, who was wise, but went overboard by claiming to be equal with God. And of all people during Jesus' time, it was the centurion, a mere soldier, who looked at the cross and saw Jesus in all his glory because when Jesus died on the cross, the centurion was there and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. What made him see the reality as how God sees it? According to Revelation 17, the woman who represents the world holding a golden cup with the f- filled with blood of the saints, drunk and intoxicated, is happily flirting with the beast, Revelation 17:18, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Nothing, no city, but the Rome during his time. Rome dominates all the kingdoms of the world during that time. And this great city, Babylon, any city, any civilization, any community now, today, that doubts, denies, redefines the truth is Babylon or represents Babylon. That means any city, any civilization or community that comes together to deny, reject, and redefine the truth and assert man's achievement over God's is Babylon. It doesn't matter if it's New York or London or Paris, Or Washington DC any city that rejects God is Babylon when we prayed before the before we started I I told my the worship team that I'm gonna offend a lot of people today and it's like I don't care because I'm sending a message but this is not my message so please do not shoot the messenger (laughs) At the height of Babylon's success, Nebuchadnezzar was drunk from power and glory and decadence. And at the height of his power, he entertained the thought of becoming equal with God. So narcissistic that he felt like, I want to become God, a mere king, a mere human. This is what it says in Isaiah 14. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God I will set my throne on high I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will make myself like the most high reflects the story of the temptation that happened in the wilderness when Satan was telling Jesus I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you but bow down and worship me so I can become like the Most High. Of course, this is not say that this is the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Folks, this is an old lie. This is the lie of the enemy and he's been successful with it. This is the lie that he fed Adam and Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you will not die. This is a lie. Man cannot become God. Which say amen to that? God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That's the lie of the enemy. If you eat this forbidden food, you will become like God. This is the lie of the New Age movement. You can become like God. The stars are conspiring. Ooh. This is the lie of Buddhism and Hinduism. You can become like God. This is a lie. Let me paraphrase what the serpent said to Adam and Eve. I think I'm good with this paraphrase. What the serpent said was, this fruit is a symbol of slavery. God is not telling you the whole truth. He's withholding something good from you. And by withholding this fruit of knowledge, God simply wants to keep you where you are forever, His own slave. You are imprisoned in this garden. You're not free. If He really loves you and wants what's best for you, He will allow you to eat this fruit. There should be no rules whatsoever. You are a big boy and big girl. You can decide what's best for you. You have to define what is best for you and write your own destiny. You can become like God. And it doesn't have to be God's way. It should be your way, your terms, your choice. Listen, it's your body, your choice. That's a paraphrase. When I finished this, I got scared because I felt like I'm the serpent talking here. I almost convinced myself. But this is what exactly he was trying to say. See, a society that denies, rejects, and redefines the truth is a society represented by the woman, Babylon the Great. Folks, you are not part of Babylon. Do not believe in her lies. You believe the claims of Jesus. You have heard the gospel. You know the truth. Let me pick one of those that I think that are very important are happening in our culture today. Abortion a denial rejection and redefinition of what constitutes a life the scripture is very clear that murder is morally wrong why because a person is made in God's image the scripture says that murder is morally wrong but Babylon denies the scripture as a basis of truth rejects the morality at the base of the gospel and redefines what's inside the body of the woman All in the name of my way my terms my rights therefore my body my choice abortion does not see the unborn children as someone reflecting the image of God it is murder because it is against the image bearer the scripture says God created humankind in his image both man and woman he and she the world denies the difference between the two by saying that a man can be a woman if he chooses to identify with a woman. See, the Western culture right now is confused with the term. It cannot even define what a woman is, a birthing person. Why? Because the woke movement has redefined the terms according to whatever suits the narrative, folks. This is not about rights, or suicide, or bullying, or being a victim, or reparations. This is plain and simple rejection of the truth. Sex and genders reflect God's image. Sex and genders must comply with God's rules. It was his rules. The world is not ours to begin with. It is God's creation. It is his rules. His house, his rules. That means to go against the design for sex and genders to defy rules and what are the rules? Righteousness. You're made in God's image, you reflect God's image, and God is righteous. We are to reflect the righteousness of God. This is nothing but a case of men and women, according to this Roman one, suppressing the truth. If you don't have God in the picture, it's easy. Because if you erase God in the picture, there will be no rules, and therefore you can eat all the foods that you want, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. It's going to be your body, your choice. If God is not in the picture, you can redefine your purpose in life. Write your own destiny, follow your stars. You don't even have to stay inside the garden. If God is not in the picture, you don't have to be fruitful and multiply and act accordingly to your sex or gender, my body, my choice. Sex is now exclusively about my pleasure according to my preference, not about glorifying God or keeping up with the mandate to reflect His image. Everything that we do must reflect the image of God in us. Even marriage. And this is what the world will say. This is their main argument. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, it's okay. Is it? I don't think so. It's not okay. Adultery is not okay. Homosexuality is not okay. Stealing is not okay. Addiction is not okay. Pornography is not okay but I'm not hurting anyone. But according to the Bible, you reflect God's righteousness and therefore it's not okay. You may not be hurting anyone else, but but it's nothing but a plain and simple rejection of God's image in you. See, even in sexuality, we honor God by acting according to our design. You may not be hurting anyone, but God calls this unrighteousness. You may say, well, we are two consenting adults and we are not hurting anyone. If that's the case, you are two consenting unrighteous adults conspiring to deny the image of God in you. You call it consenting, God calls it adultery, fornication, in other words, sin. I'm not angry and I'm mad at you. I know you're not this one. But you would say, the second argument. The second argument is coming from the, one of the greatest philosophers of the 21st century. Stefani Germanotta. You know this girl? She's also known as Lady Gaga. Her main argument is, there's nothing I can do about it because I was born this way. See, you may have been born a sinner, but that specific proclivities are not in your DNA. No one is born an adulterer, or homosexual, or a pedophile. There's no scientific evidence that can be found, no scientific study that was conducted that proves that who you are is what you are because of your DNA, and therefore you are not born this way. Bunch of balonies. Listen, Michael Jackson knows how to sing and dance, he's very good at it. But the evidence is clear, he used to invite young white boys in his mansion. And no matter what you say, you will never convince me Michael Jackson is not white. It's supposed to be a joke. They didn't catch it. <laughs> Their third argument is this. I cannot change. No matter what I do, I cannot change. I'm a pedophile. I like young boys. I cannot change. Another nonsense. I, I know it's hard. I know the struggle, and I'm not going to deny it. I know the struggle. I'm a married man I know it's like to struggle When there's a woman with perfect vital statistics Walking past me Wearing a cross between shorts and bikini It's called booty shorts You ever see those in the malls? But I don't fantasize about it I don't grab anything The trouble comes when we begin to desire And Jesus calls this adultery in the mind My point is that we acknowledge, as Christians, we're not hypocrites. We acknowledge there's struggle here. But to argue that I cannot change is nonsense. Listen to Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, By the way, let me go through with this. This is very important. Neither the sexually immoral, those who sleep around, those who like to sleep around for free, nor idolaters, you know that, nor adulterers who are married but want to still sleep around, nor men who practice homosexuality or women, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards or the addicts, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ by the spirit of our god what he's saying is that the church in corinth was once before like this but yet they were forgiven this is an evidence that people can change amen to that That's the evidence right there see it's it's not that just you can change it's because god has changed you your heart in the first place. A man or woman deeply in love with Jesus or fully committed following Jesus will have no reason to say, I cannot change. Why? Because God has changed them in the first place. I think we have misunderstood the definition of saints. Saints are not those dead people that were canonized by, by Rome. Saints are not those people who are not sinning anymore. There's no such thing. Saints are people who are forgiven. They still sin, but they don't enjoy doing it anymore. In fact, after that, they feel guilty. They feel rotten inside. They don't like doing what they did. That's the definition of saints. Not because they can change, but because God has changed them. Bible says that we are being changed from glory to glory, little by little. Well, you still get angry, you still get greedy, you still do chismes, but just a little bit. You change, yeah? Not too blatant anymore. And then after that, you feel guilty. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did, Lord, I'm sorry. There is conviction now. Before, the world has no conviction, no understanding of what sin is about. There's no basis for morality. But now you have because you have been forgiven. If Babylon is the harlot, and the harlot of this any civilization that rejects God and flirts with the beast. Therefore, anyone who flirts with the woman, drinks the cup filled with the blood of the saints, are people who have aided and abetted the system to persecute the saints. There would be people who will claim that they are neutral. They do not hate Christians, but they, they also do not support the Christians. But in the final story... They are the ones who have aided and abetted those systems, the system that will persecute the church. Revelation 17 And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This is a parody for God. God is who was and is and is to come. But the beast is who was and is not and is to come. Verse 15, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn with fire. But John is saying that in the end, the system will hate the city, the community, the civilization of people who rejects the truth. Make no mistake about it, the world will end. We know that the war in the garden, that started the war in the garden, will also end. We know that the reign of the false gods will end. And we know that those who flirted with the harlot will end very badly when Jesus comes back. Verse 13, These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called the chosen and faithful. What this tells us is at the very end, God will assert His kingship, His lordship. Because of all people that claim to be the most powerful, not the uh, emperor of Rome, but Jesus is the Lord of lords and King of kings. See, I cannot see, whenever I read the book of Revelation, I cannot see a win for those who flirted with the prostitute or the prostitute themselves. I cannot see a win for the kings who will gather in Armageddon and make war on the Lamb. Obviously, they cannot win. Nobody can win against God. But people still try. The enemy still try. See, there is no other name, no other way but Jesus. During World War II, None of us are still are alive. Maybe the baby boomers are, but you're still very young. But during the World War II, the German forces occupied France, and there's a lot of movies that depict this move, this uh, event. The French men formed a resistance group, while the women, the French women, they collaborated with the enemy. Now. When the German forces were defeated, these women were brought in public. Their heads were shaved. The French called them femme tondue, so they could be easily identified with. It was believed that these French women produced more than 200,000 French babies with German fathers. The French called them collaborators. They were not killed. Their heads were shaved so that they can be shamed for life. You see, the unbelieving world, those who flirted with the systems of the world, whether in politics, economics, science, media, and special religion, in the end, will be branded as collaborators. Because there's really no neutral, there's really no safe ground. Either you are for God or you are against God. They may not have carried weapons they may not have direct connection with persecuting of the christians but they are not innocent either there's no happy ending for collaborators beloved if there's any message today is that do not entertain the idea do not join the world to continuously deny and reject and redefine the truth of god do not give in to the pressures of the world even if the, the world says it's politically incorrect to say that or to claim that. See, the gospel itself is offensive because the gospel claims there's only one way, one truth, and one source of life. It's offensive. You, in the presence of the enemies, you in the presence of the world, is already offensive. So do not wonder why people don't want to talk to you because they know what you represent. They know what you believe. The problem comes when you don't know what you believe. The problem comes when you don't know how to express what you believe. But the word knows, the gospel is offensive. The gospel message, John, is encouraging us to stand our ground. In doing so, we will become like the woman in chapter 12, dressed in white, holding to our promises, willing to suffer, even to the point of death because we love Jesus. We remain faithful because Jesus is faithful. And in the case that you might entertain the idea of compromising, just in case, you know, this little thing, because I love my friend. He's an unbeliever, but I love my friend. What do I do? Jesus has a very stern warning for us. Matthew 10, verse 28 and 32. He said, Do not fear those who kill the body, But cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the body and soul in hell. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Stand your ground, know what you believe, and keep persevering in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another warning It's true that your message is offensive Because you claim to be the truth And the only source of truth Father We live in the world where we are pressured to say otherwise I pray that you will give us the courage To stand our ground I pray that you will Give us the courage to speak our faith and to articulate what we really believe. And in doing so, I pray that you will give us the spirit of discernment and gentleness so that others will learn from us. And in the case that people will reject the message, I pray that you will not allow discouragement in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you will encourage us even more because we know you are with us And you're coming back. And what we do while waiting still matters. In Jesus' name.